Thank you, as always, for listening to Caleb versus Self. On today's episode, I get a chance to speak with Derek, host of the Once Upon a Boot podcast. Uh, it was a fantastic and fun conversation for me, obviously, as a veteran. Uh, we talk about veteran stereotypes. We talk about whether or not the military would look different if there was an officer path that stemmed from the NCO Corps. Uh, and, of course, we talk about random stories and experiences from Derek's time in the Navy. Uh, he's got a great podcast he's running over at Once Upon a Boot. You can find that on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and anywhere that you get your podcast. Please check him out. He's got a ton of really awesome, really cool veterans who have separated from the military and have gone on to do some pretty awesome, very cool things. So please, if you get a chance, check it out. And as always, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited to be here. So first and foremost, and we briefly talked about it at the start, what is it that you're learning about the differences in being a veteran from each branch or each like timeline? Because you've covered quite a bit of a gambit of time and branches. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the one of the things that is something that I've tried to preach, you know, is that when people hear the word veteran, right, I think the first thing that they think about is like, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, like infantry, that that's just like their go-to kind of uh, imagination of what a vet is. And I know just from being in the Navy that there's so many different jobs just in the Navy alone. And then I guess my sort of view of like Army Marines was also that boots on the ground over in Iraq and Afghanistan sort of idea. And I think from talking to people from different times and different jobs, different branches is that it's so different just across the board, you know, just based off when you served, let alone, you know, the job that you had in whatever branch. So I think it's cool to kind of, I guess, expose people to the different jobs in the military. And also that when people get out of the military, we all have such different jobs that we do. So I I think that's been like the coolest eye opening thing. Yeah. One of the things I always hear about and everyone complains about the defense budget, right? How how much we yeah. spend on the military. But I do think not to defend it per se, because I do have my own issues with it, but not to d- go too far. But there are so many different things that the military does at any given time. It's such a huge For conglomerate sure. of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there's no other way to say it for me. It, it, there's so much that goes into it too. And I actually work in the defense industry now, which is not something that I thought I would do, but even working there and you see all like the different pieces that go into, I guess, just like getting things available to, let's say the fleet. It's just wild. Like all the different components that go into it. Yeah. I think I was reading somewhere not too long ago that of all the MOSs, you've got your combat MOSs, right? Yep. And of all of those, that only comprises like three or four percent of the actual military oh, yeah. as a whole. I mean, there's so there's so much that goes. I mean, I think like the majority of people that are even in the military, um, like there's so much in supply or personnel management and 
you know, all these different things, you know, like when you go to the recruiter and you first find out, you know, all the jobs that you qualify for and whatever branch it is, and you first see those jobs, you're like, oh, I didn't even know that that was an option in the military. Right. Right. I, it's so hard too, because like, I don't know how it was when you joined, but you obviously you take the ASFAB and then you sit down with a recruiter and then they open the book of, or, or they open a website and they're like, all right, pick one. And you're just like, what? How yeah, they're like, you qualify them? for these things. Which one do you want to do? It's like, I'm making a career choice based off, you know, like two sentences that they list for each job. <laughs> the other thing I find interesting or really cool, I should say, about your podcast is the differences and experiences of how they, how veterans react and what they do outside when they first get out. I mean, the difference yeah. between someone who's in the Navy and then gets out and starts a business or someone who's maybe a National Guard Army person and gets out and is a teacher now and an author or becomes a stand-up comic. Like, there's so many different things that veterans get out and end up doing in the context of, um, you know, obviously suicide problems with veterans. What is it that you see that gives you some hope for veterans that are getting out by doing your podcast? So I think that at least what I've noticed now, I think there's more awareness of, I guess, like the signs and symptoms and resources that are available. And um, like, I think the biggest thing for me, because I, I struggled with that, but I think there's like, so when I looked at, let's say things like PTSD or suicide awareness and stuff, like I didn't even know what PTSD really was. Like I knew that like combat vets had it, but I didn't know that it just applied to just traumas like across the board. Like when you think of... PTSD, like you think of like combat vets, boots on the ground that are having all these issues Mm -hmm. when I was going through that type of stuff, but I didn't know that it even like necessarily applied to me until I actually listened to another podcast and they were like describing all these things. I was like, holy shit, like I have all of that stuff that I'm dealing with right now. And it's like, I went to get help for it. And, you know, obviously, you know, that's great, but I just don't think that there's enough information and obviously, you know, an active duty, like you would know from being in is like the stigma of like actually seeking help while you're active is so frowned upon because you're afraid, okay, is this going to affect my clearance? Is this going to affect, uh, you know, my promotion status, how the command views me. Yeah. So, um, you know, all that stuff, it, it plays a factor. So, well, in the Navy, did you guys have sick call Rangers? So what did they in call the Navy? There? So you're talking about like, it's hard. Um, it depends on the climate of the command, I think. Okay. So I, I served on two different ships and my first ship, um, it was super just like, if you went to seek help for like, let's say mental health for anything, we looked at it like, oh, this person's just trying to get out of going underway. They're trying to get out of deployment. Um you know, it, it was super negative. So mm-hmm. even like me who was going through stuff at the time, I'm like, yeah, you know, we called it fifth flooring yourself because the fifth floor of the Naval Hospital was like the psych ward. Gotcha. So like, oh, they fifth floored to just to get out of, you know, going underway, going on deployment. And then on my second ship, it was just like, OK, go talk to somebody. And that was like wild to me. Yeah. Well, you talked about that a lot with uh, I believe it was DJ. Yeah. Right? He served on the first ship with you. Yeah, I have a lot of people on my podcast from my first ship just because it was such a it was like notorious on the waterfront. Like everybody knew like, oh, you were on that ship. Oh, like because we had (laughs) we just had a string of bad captains. So like, you know, 
top down, if you're if the head guy on the ship is toxic, the XO is going to be toxic and then department heads and then the division officer. It just trickles down. So everybody was just on eggshells all the time. We had a captain who would do like bread and water punishments to the ship. So what like if you go, so it's an old archaic Navy punishment where you get sent to the brig and you're only allowed to live off bread and water rations. Mm. Like you're only allowed bread and water and you're like restricted to the brig on the ship, which is just like, it's not even a punishment used in the Navy anymore, but he like kept it. It was just super archaic. Like the dude was paranoid. Like if he heard you whistling in the passageways of the ship, he would uh, take that as collusion to like mutiny and he would like put you in the brig bread and water. Like wow. the dude was wild. But the problem with the Navy at least in my opinion is you have a captain and then the you have the XO which is obviously mm-hmm. second in command. When the CO leaves, the XO becomes the new CO. So if you're being trained by a dude who's super paranoid and toxic and now you're in command like you're just going to repeat and then the next guy is just going to move forward. And that's how it was on the ship until they relieved the CO and the XO at the same time, brought in two new dudes. Then everything changed. Gotcha. Is that so. a lot of what you guys talked about on five best worst feelings of ship life? <laughs> is that where a lot of so, that comes from? So that one was just kind of, so that was an idea I had of, okay, let's get a bunch of like ex sailors together and then talk about like when people say, the best and worst things about military experience. I think the general consensus is like, well, deployments suck because you're away from home and you know, like living conditions are usually like not the most ideal or like I tried to pick, all right, let's think of like really specific little minor things that the regular civilian or somebody from the other branch might not know. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, we touch on things like um, you're standing uh, armed watch and then your relief is late. And like you can't find the dude who's going to relieve you. You've been standing with your, you know, M16 for the last five hours. You're fucking hot. You're tired. You're hungry. You want to catch chow. Um, and they're just nowhere to be found. So then you get relieved late. You can't make chow. You have to go to muster. Now you're starting your day's work. You haven't eaten. You haven't slept because you've been on Firewatch. Like, you know, things like that. Like, that's the worst. Or um, on the ship when the tanks are backed up. So you can't use the the head. You can't go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then the ship rocks back and forth, right? So now there's literal human shit like floating all over the deck of the head. It's like things like that. People are like, oh, my God, like they have to deal with that. It's like, yeah, that's that's the fucking worst thing about being on the ship. <laughs> yeah, I the one I had one guy who it was in our platoon who was former Navy, got out, then rejoined, ended up in the army. I mean, you know, a lot of those cross branch guys. Yeah, the blue to green program, I think they call it. Oh, no, this guy just got out of the Navy and then oh. sucked at being a civilian, apparently. And the Navy wouldn't take him back, but the army would. So that's oh, how he got, interesting. <laughs> he got back interesting. into the army. The stories he would tell about Navy guys were weird bro like going from port to port it sounds like when you guys are let off i don't know what it's called Mm. is it like leave or you just time off no liberty yeah liberty call liberty okay yeah and they would come back apparently with some of the creepiest stories i've heard in my life it depends so it it's (laughs) it's interesting liberty in and of itself is like a game because so for the navy at least when i was in um so when you pull into like a port overseas, especially overseas in po- in uh like continental U.S., it's a little different. 
But if you're overseas and you're pulling into a port, you have a Liberty group, you know, which you get to pick and it's usually three people deep and you always have to have one sober buddy in the group. So somebody that says, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to do anything. Um, and you can't like, it can't be somebody within, I think it's like two ranks higher than you. So it's usually like E4s and E5s will go together. Um, usually like, yeah, E3 and below. And then like E6s are usually together. Um, E7s and above can usually go together. And then officers can just kind of go however. Um, but I guess like you have to choose your group wisely. And I, I like stress that. And that was always super stressful pulling into port to try to get like your Liberty group down pat beforehand. Cause you don't want to be the guy that doesn't have a Liberty buddy. And then you just get like, just the shit like, Oh, we need a third person. And now you're stuck with these two like weird ass dudes or something. <laughs> <laughs> there seemed to be a lot of like weird, in my opinion, right. It's completely yeah. anecdotal. Cause I've only met like a handful of Navy dudes. You seem to be a slightly different breed than most of the ones that I've met, but it seems to be the Navy kind of gets guys that are a little, I don't know, outside of the norm, if you will. It, it, a lot of it depends on your job. Okay. Um, I recently did a, an episode with a, a rate. It's called, so, you know, for other branches, you call it MOSs. We call it rates. Yep. Same yep. thing. But um, there's a rate called CTs, which are cryptologic technicians. They are like across the board, just really weird because they're all like super smart. Um, they're usually really, really nerdy, which is cool. Like I, I'm like kind of like a nerdy guy, too. But they are just like the first time I met a CT was the first time I met a. um, What is it called? The people that like dress up like animals. Oh, furries. Furries. Yeah. The first time I met a furry <laughs> was a CT. Like they're just like. <laughs> super fucking weird um but it's it's just like knowing it's like okay well i don't want to go with the cts um a lot of sonar techs are kind of weird because like they spend their whole time just down at the bottom of the ship and like you know close rooms it's just like you're kind of a a product of your environment in the navy so it's like Mm -hmm. if you're locked away all day in like a dark room on the ship probably going to be a little different gotcha i mean to be fair right each branch has their own their own version i'm like sure yeah i'm army. sure the army has like it's known it's like S6 oh this group guys, the yeah. combo guys they were okay. the ones that are like oh you just tinker with radios all day long and they were completely antisocial. yep wouldn't be surprised if they were furries like <laughs> that type of dude yeah uh, and, and that must just be like mos thing like you just for whatever reason certain mos's attract certain types of dudes like oh, 11 sure. bravos i was a 19 delta cavalry scout like there's plenty of idiots that want to be gung ho, hoorah. Sure. I want to be a real soldier type of thing. And then they get there and you realize that they're all just idiots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just know, like in the Navy, I'm sure the army has something similar where if whatever, like, so what's the lowest thing you can qualify for in the army? Like what's like, oh, you, you sucked I'm at the ASVAB. Sure you're this. I'm pretty sure it's an 11 Bravo. You just go catch bullets in the head. Okay. <laughs> so in the Navy, you get sent, Um, it's called undesignated. So when you go to pick a rate initially or an MOS, you know, you qualify for a bunch of things. Well, there's one job in the Navy called undesignated, which the recruiters do a great job trying to sell you on this, where it's like (laughs) you can go to the fleet and you get to choose your job, (laughs) which really means 
you're not, you don't have an MOS. You don't have a rate. You're being sent to the ship and the ship's going to put you wherever, which 99.9% of the time (laughs) you get sent to what's called deck division and deck division. They work on preservation of the ship. So painting, uh, chipping up the non-skid on the decks, um, basically like all seamanship, like uh, fixing the lines that you use on the ship. It's just like really hard labor, just brutal type stuff. And I mean, most of the people that can't score a rate, it's because they couldn't score high enough on the ASVAB. So typically they're not the brightest bunch of people. Gotcha. And that's where Usually, they put them. <laughs> yeah, that's where they put them. And then <laughs> they end up in like a special birthing area on the ship. So like we always called uh, birthing three, which is where they lived uh, the projects. We're like, oh, you don't want to go back to birthing three. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It's interesting how there are a whole bunch of, of parallels between each branch, whether it's right a rate or an MOS or certain yeah. types of people do certain types of things. And there's always a, a shitty commander and there's always a really good commander and there's always yep. a shitty NCO and a great NCO. And there's just so many different parallels that, that, like you said, you know, you get into this frame of mind when you get out, like I am a vet. I think all vets are like me. Yeah. And then you find out that, no, that's not even close. There's so many no. different types doing so many different things. Um, and that's what's really cool about what you're doing there. So I'll, I'll kind of pivot back over to the podcast. Outside of that, like which one of your guests, if you had to pick one, really hit something home for you? Um, That's a good question. I think the coolest, I guess, or maybe not the cool, the most interesting guest to me that I was really anticipating, I had this one guest, his name was Takora, and he was an ex-army officer, and he is a uh, public defender. He's a, he's an attorney now, and he, the things like that he does, he does like a lot of pro bono work for people and like he he legitimately seems like a guy who got out and he's like, I just want to help people. And just listening to him use, you know, like his idea of leadership in the army, which was really cool. Um, he was kind of like the epitome of what you would want in a good leader. He's like, you know, when it came to like the fitness test, he's like, I wanted to make sure that like I was number one. So like everybody could follow me when it came to like doing missions. He's like, I wanted to be out on the front lines. I wanted to be the one that, you know was like the leader and he was prior enlisted too. So he kind of had a frame of reference to go off of, but as, as a lawyer, he's was kind of like the same way. And he was talking about, you know, all the things that he's trying to do in his community to change things and the things that he tries to fight for. And that he's not necessarily trying to just take cases to make money. He's trying to actually help people. out. It was really eye opening to kind of, you know, hear about what he goes through. It's cool too because from an officer perspective, right? You, everybody, yeah. you look at an officer and you're like, "All right, here's this guy," right? <laughs> like, that's always the the thought process. But to have an officer that truly tried to lead from the front or do the Dude, things that he's asking you to do, he said he's like, in my opinion, he's like, officers aren't even necessary. That was like one of the first things he said to me, which kind of blew my mind. I was like, "What?" And he's like, "I mean, think about it." He's like, "You guys are kind of self sufficient." He's like. And I think we all kind of know it's like E7 and above kind of leads the military around the officers. You know, you have good ones. Some are prior enlisted Mustangs, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like they help out. Um, But a lot of officers, unfortunately, end up just like speaking out of their ass, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Especially for me, my experience with officers was varied 
like crazy. You had yeah. one guy who, again, took like quite clearly took his direction from our platoon sergeant, who's an E7. Yep. And although he would do the speaking, you could tell like he was listening to what the platoon sergeant was telling him. Like, hey, of bro, course. this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. This is what I would tell you to do. And yeah, I never really thought about it in that context. Like, nah, you don't need first, second lieutenants all that much. You really don't. It's it's weird. Like the rank structure in the military, it's been this way for so long, but it, it's such an odd structure. Whenever I talk to somebody that was E7 or above enlisted, I one of the first questions I always have for them is like, how did you deal with like a 20-year-old ensign like you know e- uh, O1 showing up and then essentially being able to tell you what to do mm-hmm. like how do you how does that dichotomy work because for me like I had a hard enough trouble you know being when I joined when I was 21 so a lot of the officers that are coming to the ship are the same age as me like if I'm an E4 or an E5 at the time and then these guys are you know my same age it's hard for me to take them seriously especially like having time at sea you know, in the Navy and then these dudes just get to the ship and then they try to tell you like how things are. And it's like, dude, you haven't even been underway. <laughs> like you don't know. That's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. We, ha- I remember one guy again, I won't say any names, but he came from Colorado. He went to Boulder. He did the whole OCS program and he shows up. I had already had a tour under my belt. I'd led soldiers yep. in combat. I had helped to do everything under the sun. And then you have this guy showing up and, and literally berating me in front of people telling me that he knows what real leadership is. And I, I remember specifically saying, sir, if you did, you wouldn't pull this shit. Yeah. And I got, I got rung up pretty good for that. But at the same time, like you're, you have a point like, bro, this isn't, you haven't learned how to be a leader yet. I know you went to school. This is different. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had, um, in the Navy, we call them DRBs which is a disciplinary review board. I've been to a few of those, which is just getting (laughs) screamed at by E7s. But, you know, two of them were uh, disrespecting officers. But, I mean, it's just like rank is is important. I understand the premise of rank, and you got to respect rank. You got to, you know, know how to play the game, I always say, and, you know, deal with that. But at the same time, like, when you're higher rank, you also have to realize experience. Like real world experience is a lot different than reading a book or sitting in a classroom. It's like if you get your degree in college and then you get hired at your first job, you're not going to assume that you know more than the people that have been working there. So why does that apply to the military? Like it's such a weird sort of thing. Like if you're new, the people that have been there obviously know more than you do about that specific thing. It's just that's just how it is. I've always so. wondered, like, I wonder how it would look if you changed the military structure to be, you know, you come in as an E1 or an E3 or whatever it is, depending on what you get when you when you come from the get-go. But when you hit E6, I wonder if, let's say you hit E6, you get that choice to make of whether you want to continue down the NCO path or you can apply and go to school and become an O1 from that point. How different would I, the military be? I could not agree more because the people that do um, in the Navy, we call it the LDO program. I don't know if you guys have something similar where once you are E6, you can apply to be an LDO, which is a limited duty officer. And then you can go O1 and start building up that way. And then in the Navy, we call them Mustangs because they were prior enlisted. 
but those were always the best officers that I've ever had because they made it to E6. They know what it's like to be in the suck, to just like, you know, have nothing. And then they've gained their leadership and then they choose to go the officer route and they were just the best people to work for because they knew how to relate to you. They knew how to talk to you. They knew what needs to be done. They know, you know, how a sailor is and how anybody E6 and below is. It's like, if you tell them to do something, we're going to bitch about it. We're going to get it done anyways, but you know, we're going to drag our feet or we're going to figure out the shortest way to get there, how to cut corners. Like they know all that (laughs) stuff. So it's, they know how to like, you know, relate to you when shit needs to get done. And it's just, you know, they have things similar to that. They had the green to gold program where if you were enlisted, you could apply and go to West Point or another military school, but that's another four years and you're extending your contract out for it. Like nobody wanted to do that, bro. No Especially way. for LDO, you have to elect to stay at sea for an additional four years, which is not enjoyable. Right. <laughs> I just, I've always wondered that, like, if they changed the structure in that way, how different would the military be? People just hate change so much. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the problems that the military faces, unfortunately, I think comes from a lot of older veterans. Because a lot of people are, well, back in my day, you know, we had to do it this way and we had to do this. So I think a lot of the reason people don't evolve, especially the military, is because, well, things have just been done this way for so long. Why why change it? It'll upset people. But I mean, there comes a time where it's like, okay, but for all of this time, has it really been effective to have a 23-year-old have authority over this 40-year-old dude that's been in the military for, you know... 18 years has that ever worked you know yeah yeah i i wonder there's also that idea of like tradition like at what point does it does a habit just become tradition and then we use that as an excuse to keep doing the same shit over and over again and the navy has a lot of traditions that are still there and you're like why is in 2021 why are we still doing this this doesn't and and it comes um there's a thing on the ship it's called so you have to earn I say you don't have to, but you really have to. You have to earn your surface warfare pin. So depending on what type of ship you're on, whether it's, you know, uh, there's air warfare, surface warfare, underwater warfare. Um, I think there's like expeditionary warfare, which is like something that like SEALs, special forces type people get. So depending on what type of ship you're on, you earn this warfare pin. And it was a traditional thing. The whole premise of it originally when the, the Navy first did it, when the ships were so small and the crew was so little, it was like everybody on the ship needs to know everybody's job. So if the ship's under attack and this person dies, you know how to do their job to, you know, keep the ship fighting. Right. Gotcha. Well, in modern day Navy, there's so many jobs on the ship. There's so many different, you know, moving parts, but they still do this and you still have to get qualified to know how to do everybody, basically everybody's job on the ship. So it's like, why is that still a thing? Because if the ship's under attack and people are dying, you know, me, I worked on the missile defense radar system. It's like, I'm not going to leave the missile defense radar system to go, you know, like uh, in the engine room. Like they they would never have me do that, you know? So it's like, why do we still do this? Like, well, it's tradition. Okay. It's kind of stupid. And then it's like, (laughs) well, you don't have to get it. But if you don't get it, when you go overseas, they, they incentivize it. So it's like, well, if you have it, now you can stay out till 10 p.m. You don't have to be back on the ship till 8 p.m. So it's like, okay, well, now you get like 
cornered into, well, you can't go out with this person because they can stay out till 10 and you can only stay out till eight. So it's like yeah. you have to get it done. It's it's, you know, there's all sorts of of traditions like that. I know for me, I was in the first cavalry division at Fort Hood and yeah. they still have a detachment who literally takes care of horses. Like not to be rude, guys, but <laughs> when's the last time anybody rode a horse into battle? Like legitimately. There, OK, there was that one you know, special forces guy or one Navy seal or, or a bunch of them that did it. Sure. But sure. that doesn't happen anymore, bro. <laughs> it's just like, we have a, a system in the Navy. It's called, um, well, they changed the name of it. We used to call it cranking. Now it's called food service attending. Cause crank is like derogatory. Um, okay. But the whole premise is you have to spend three months working in, uh, the galley on the ship as E form below. And I, I still just don't get it. Like, why not just have more cooks on the ship? Why send, like, oh. if I'm a radar guy, why send me to serve food on the ship for three months? Like, what's the what's the premise of it? It's, again, tradition. But during that time, any cook, whether they're E1, like, doesn't matter. They have authority over you because you're attached to their division. And I was an E4 at the time. So I'm like, am I really going to listen to an E1 cook tell me to clean something up? Like, fuck, I'm a fucking E4. <laughs> like, I'm not going to listen yeah. to you. Well, so it, that's like another thing that's just kind of stupid. But that one I can somewhat understand because, yeah, you should have just more cooks. But at the same time, like, yeah. why waste more manpower when I have somebody who might be sitting around for? I mean, we used to do that when yeah. we were on our deployments. We, would ha- we had uh, two cooks that were at our attachment. Uh, at you know Talopta or, or whatever place we were at when we were deployed, and you would have to send one or two privates every day to go help help scrub the dishes and do all the you know prep work or See, whatever. Because there's now only two that there's a hundred. that's here. not a now that's not a bad idea. So every day on the ship we have uh, birthing cleaners, which is like every day you have inspections of the living quarters, so you have to inspect the spaces. So every day we send people down that are available to clean and get everything ready. I totally get that. But to detach them from your division, your department, send them to food service permanently for three months where you're a part of food service. And then it's like, okay, now you have like a big casualty on the ship where like, let's say, let's say you send a gunner's mate down there, which are the people that work on big guns, small guns on the ship, right? They usually work in the armories. They help people arm up for watches. Uh, They deal with, you know, the big guns on the ship. Let's say, you know, shit hit the fan and, you know, we need help in the armory. We need to get, you know, M9s, M16s out to the crew because we have to, you know, fight something. Sure. Okay, well, now this dude's working food service. You know what I mean? So it's like you're taking it's not like, hey, Seaman Timmy's lying around. Let's just send him to go clean dishes. It's hey, it's our turn. We have to detach somebody from the department to send them there. Like you don't have a choice. It's like captain's orders. Somebody has to go. Yeah. It's just it, it, in this day and age, it's just like, why are we wasting money on training these people? Now they're serving food for three months. By the time they come back to the division, we have to almost retrain them because they forget everything, you know, because they've just been washing dishes and serving food. That's it's so weird. I just well, we answered our own question on that, right? It's tradition, yeah. bro. Yeah, it's tradition. It's tradition. <laughs> you have to go scrub pots, otherwise, you're not a real sailor, are you? That's right. <laughs> That's right. So with your with your podcast, what is it that you hope? I mean, what's the end goal? Do you have an end goal, or do you have a specific like objective you want to achieve? 
You know, I've thought about that. I originally honestly just started it because like I was going to therapy for, you know, PTSD type stuff. And one of the the thing I miss the most is like the camaraderie of just talking, bullshitting with your buddies, you know, which is, I think, what most of us miss when we get out. And that's that was the point of the podcast was just like originally just for me to talk to other people and get in touch with other vets. Um, But I think like one of the things like, I don't want to be like the next Joe Rogan or anything like that. I don't have ambitions of being like this giant, massive podcaster, but. I guess I would like to get to a point where like, I just want other vets to reach out and be like, Hey, you know, this kind of like, this kind of brought me that sense of like camaraderie that I was missing just by listening to you guys bullshit or talk or like, I, I guess that's like the biggest thing for me. Yeah, that's cool. Have, have you so far, has anyone reached out? Have you? Yeah, there's been somebody? a couple people. Um, a lot of it has been people from like my previous commands. They're like, Oh my God, you know, those stories, I totally forgot about that. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, that, like, I know that sucked, but that kind of brought a smile to my face. Like those kind of conversations are really cool to me. Um, when other people from other branches reach out that, that to me is really cool. Cause it's hard for me to relate to, you know, we talked about that to like a Marine or an army vet necessarily air force. Um, so when like I have a conversation with somebody and they come back and they're like, oh, yeah, like, you know, that was really cool. It made me feel like I was, you know, standing around the smoke pit talking with the guys or whatever. Like those those are the cool uh, conversations I get to have. With a lot of your first ship buddies, because you've got a lot of them on there. Yeah. How many stories have they told that you were like, shit, I forgot all about that. So many. So <laughs> I have a problem where I get my first and second ship mixed up all the time okay. with um personnel i'll be like because i had a couple of my buddies were on both ships with me and that doesn't help because i'm like fuck what like you know what did we do there but they'll bring things up all the time and i'm like oh my god i forgot about that person or oh do you remember that nco that we had that was such an i'm like oh my god i totally forgot about that guy (laughs) um those are always you know really fun and that was you know the whole point because you know, at least in the Navy, and I'm sure it's the same in every branch, when you're sitting around doing nothing and you're like, okay, why are we still doing this? Why can't we go home? Why are we over here? Why are we doing whatever we're doing? And you guys talk about just the most outrageous, obnoxious topics. Like that's, those are the things that I miss. And that's like, you know, when we get to talk about that on the show, I I love that stuff. It's, it's, yeah. When you get into that realm of boredom, I've never been able in my whole life to achieve that level of boredom to where all of a sudden you're talking about the difference between this penny or this penny. I was or, gonna you know say, what I mean? Like some <laughs> random shit. We had this uh, on the last deployment I did before I got out. We were so, there was a period of time where we were just floating out in the Persian Gulf. We didn't really have a mission. Like we were just kind of out there for deterrence and me and my, and my work center, we got so bored. We were watching a documentary um, that somebody had on like their hard drive that they brought on the ship. And it was like a flat earth documentary. So (laughs) we decided like we watched it and we were like, Oh, that's kind of funny. I was like, what if we convinced people on the ship that we were like flat earthers? And then they were like, Oh yeah, maybe we should. So (laughs) we started telling people on the ship, like just in regular conversation, you know, just eating, like throwing in little sprinkles of like flat earth. And (laughs) to the point, where we convinced people on the ship that our whole division were just like a bunch of flat earth, like weirdos. (laughs) And, 
like we were just doing it as a joke. But the funny yeah. thing is, is like so, somebody on the ship like took what we said. And he to this day is like a legit flat earther now. Oh, no. And I, we were like, we were just like bored. We just thought it would be a funny prank to play to play on people. <laughs> For that was always the dangerous part of of a lot of deployments too. Is I had a couple of buddies, and they're gonna listen to this, and they know I'm talking about them, <laughs> fuckers. Um, Alex Jones always got brought up, oh, like just the conspiracy so theory. And you mentioned you had another guy that just can go yeah, for days. For it feels days. like on conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory, and you're just sitting there. And sometimes you get to the point where you're like. Yeah, maybe. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. what's happening? Yeah, yeah. No, no, this I, is ridiculous. Dude, <laughs> the funny thing about conspiracies, especially during like the flat earth part, is we would watch a documentary and I'd be like, I mean, that's a really fucking good point. But then like the next thing out of their mouth, I'm like, okay, well, you lost me again because <laughs> yeah. like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, But yeah, it's funny. I mean, the level of boredom, it's like you ever walk around and you see other people doing like the weirdest like just outrageous shit to entertain themselves. And you're like, wow, I thought I was bored. They're really fucking bored right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, there's so many, I've, I can't even think of them. Cause I feel like there's so many, but I feel like you run into the same thing where you, you'll, you know what somebody else is talking about, but it's until yep. you talk to one of your old homies that you're like, yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of this dude yeah. who fill in the blank did some weird thing. Yeah, I just um, we had this I had these two guys when I was uh, in charge of my work center. They were newer to the ship and they held like the way we we kind of rotated our work center was like, okay, the most senior people will take charge overnight in case, you know, shit went crazy. There's less people awake so like they can handle it. So the less experienced guys are during the day. That way they can reach out for help if they need it. And I remember I walked in at nighttime to like relieve them and they were, they were just like in their uh, trousers, like just in their pants. They had no shirts on and they were playing hacky sack with like M&Ms trying to like catch them into each other's mouths. And I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? They're like, well, we got bored. I was like, why are your shirts off? They're like, oh, we got hot playing hacky sack. I'm like, like we're just we're, we're just underway on the ship. We're playing hacky sack with M and M's, trying to essentially kick them into each other's mouths. Like you guys are fucking gross, and this is like the dumbest thing that I've ever seen. Get your shit, and get out. <laughs> yeah, but it's like only in the military would you see something like that. Like when you reach the level of boredom where you're shirtless hacky sacking with M and M's. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I I thought was pretty cool too when you were talking on your your first episode with uh, DJ there was your instant connection over DC Comics. Yeah. What other like random connections based on stuff that you like? I imagine you probably ran into one person that was into hardcore or one another person. dude that was in only I, one. <laughs> so that that was actually a funny story too cuz in the you know, it's hard it's hard for me. I'm a very like uh I don't really like to talk to people just like off the bat. Like there's got to be something that connects us for me to like really talk to somebody. Sure. And I remember the the hardcore one, I was just wearing a band t-shirt and he walked by me and he's like, Oh yeah, dude, they're awesome. And I was like, Oh, you're into this too. Like sweet. And then, so it's like from then on we're boys. And then, you know, we were able to bond over that. And same thing with like the comics. I was never like, 
super big into telling people like, yeah, I like to read comic books because like, you know, I think like nerd sure. culture has, I guess, kind of evolved since, you know, 2011. Now everybody's like, oh, you like superheroes? Everyone likes superheroes. Right. But um, <laughs> at the time, like he was just reading a comic on his tablet. And um, I was like, whoa, you read comics? How did you get that on your tablet? And it's like he told me about it. I was like, wait, I can put comics on my tablet underway and just like read comics like I don't have to take them with me. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. So we just kind of bonded over that. Um, which is awesome because, you know, I've, I've, I guess, uh, in the Navy, like if I found out somebody's like, oh yeah, he's from New York. It's like, okay, well there's like a Boston, New York rivalry. So in my head, I'm like, maybe I won't like them. They're from New York, but it's like a lot of my best friends are from New York. So it's like, why did I have that sort of weird, like, oh, I won't like them just because, you know, their baseball team is a rival with my baseball team. Well, it's crazy too. Like the amount of people that you meet in the military, that become a lifelong friend that you know for a fact if you never met him in the military never would happen it would have never happened ever for some reason my biggest best friends from the military are all from either new york or texas which is just like we have so many differences but we bond over like one or two things and now we're like the best friends in the world <laughs> it's, it's just, just yeah, it's it's wild i well i think a lot of it has to do with going through that level of misery with yes your compadres your homies whatever you want to call them like i i remember doing motor pool duty and we would have to pick up rocks by hand and put them in our pockets until we picked up every rock that was on the cement and then we put Sounds it in the right, right place and then you'd have some you know jerk e5 kick a bunch more out onto the fucking mm. motor pool why did he do mm. it because we couldn't go home yet there wasn't a reason for it oh, it was just like here here's some more shit to do because we can't leave yet I hated, hated just sitting around with nothing to do. And then their reason. So did you ever get this? would be like, well, when you're deployed, you can't just go home. Like, but we're not deployed right now. Can we go home (laughs) now? So that way, when we do get deployed, we understand. But at least when we're not deployed or you you sit around and you're, you know, in the Navy, E7 is a chief. So like your chief would be like. You go to him and be like, Chief, listen, it's 1400. Everything's done for the day. No one's doing anything. Like, it's a Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday. Like, can we just go home? And then all of a sudden, out of, out of their ass, they'd be like, oh, well, did you go paint the storeroom? It's like, what? Was that, that was on the board for today? Like, no one knew that we were supposed to just fucking paint the storeroom. Or it's like, oh, did you guys wax the deck? It's, why, why? Why are we waxing yeah, the deck? Yeah. Like, what's the rush? For us, it was when I became an E5 and I had my own squad, it was always out of sight, out of mind. Yep. So we were lucky because right behind the company were the barracks. They were right there. So I would say disappear. And yes. they would be gone. Yep. The deal was, though, is that when I call you, if you don't pick up the phone, you're done for. Yeah. We were, we're never going to do this again. So when I say you need to be back here, it should be two fucking minutes that you're right back here. You know, you kind of make those like acknowledging deals, like disappear. Yeah. I do. You better I be used, back when I need you. I used to tell my junior guys, I'll be, I'll just walk up to them when we're sitting around doing nothing. It's like, all right, I'm in charge. I know that I have to stay, but there's no reason for like my junior guys to be here. So I'd be like, you have a medical appointment today, right? And then they'd be like, what? I was like, yes, you have, you have a medical appointment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Go to your medical appointment and then I'll call you like if I need you. But again, same thing. 
if I call you, you have to come back to the ship. Yeah. 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 So it's There's one of those unspoken, things. like, yeah, Roger got it. Yeah. And you're paying it forward. Cause like you want them when they take leadership to do that to their guys. Like you're trying to instill kind of a good sense of, Hey, this is how you're not an asshole. Just because w- one person's suffering doesn't mean everybody has to suffer. Yep. That yep. was always my mentality when I was like in a leadership position. That was the worst too. Like one guy forgot his ID card. Now everyone's doing push-ups, or we're all running around the barracks oh, for the next God. three hours. We had we had somebody on the ship lose a pair of uh, NVGs on the ship, Ooh. and there's not those a, are serialized. Like, yeah, they're expensive, <laughs> and yeah, they um, so they lost them on the bridge, which is like you know the top portion where the captain sits, the people that drive the ship. Everybody sits up there, right? So okay. they lost them on the bridge but nobody was allowed to leave the ship until they were found. And I think we had just pulled into port from being underway for like two weeks. And I was like, okay, the chances of them having fell into the fucking ocean somewhere are probably pretty high. Oh man. Like, you know, (laughs) so if somebody lost them on the bridge, why are people that have nothing to do with the bridge having to stay on the ship? Like if I've, if I don't go to the bridge, why do I have to stay? Because they lost them. And then we, I think we looked for like six hours. Nobody can find them. Nobody wanted to declare that they fell overboard at some point. And then eventually they ended up being in the fucking captain's quarters the whole time because the captain took them and didn't realize he had taken them. Like, <laughs> God, that's brutal. It's like, dude, those were the, those were the worst hands down. Yeah. I remember getting into it with one soldier because he was like, you know, I just got married. Like my wife's at home. I want to spend time with her. And she was, He's bitching up a storm. I was like, I don't think you realize, buddy. Today's my wife's birthday. And yeah. it's fucking eight o'clock at night. And we're fucking scrubbing the barracks with toothbrushes because you guys want to be dickheads. Like, yeah. we're not playing this game today. I fucking. No way, buddy. Dude, it's. It was the same thing. Like, my I would get home. My wife would be pissed at me. I'm like, I can't. Like, there's nothing I can do. It's just. Right. Like, right. It's, it's not like I'm there because I want to be fucking mopping the deck again. <laughs> <laughs> they they just don't let me go home. So, so I'll I'll I've taken up a whole bunch of your time, and I appreciate it, Derek, so much. It's been a lot of fun. But what I want to ask about is what does the conversation sound like when you're talking with your buddies and you're getting close to your your separation date? Mm. When everyone's trying to convince you to stay in, what is that conversation like with your buddies? Like, do I stay in? Do I get out? What are the reasons? Huh. So I guess again this kind of differs from um where you're stationed i think the general can so like i joined not with the anticipation of doing 20 but kind of like i don't know let's see what happens and very quickly i was like this probably isn't for me past like my first enlistment so i did six years and i think a lot of us kind of understood that we were all getting out. Not many of my friends actually stayed in. Like we all kind of got out around the same time, but you know, the thing always gets brought up like, Oh, well the Navy needs good people like you to stay in, to pay it forward for the next group. But my biggest problem with the military is just the culture of like, there's not much you can do, unfortunately to change things is kind of how I looked at it. It's like, if I stay in for 20 years you know, the dirt bags, the people that know how to play the game the right way, they're still going to advance and they're still going to make it, you know, kind of like 
continuing the same stuff that's been going on. So I was like, why would I stay in and kind of change things when I can't really do much to change them? I just have to stay within the system that's there. So I think a lot of us kind of understood that. And, um, you know, in the Navy, once you admit that you're getting out, they kind of just pretend like you don't even exist anymore. So they're like, okay, you're getting out. Like you're not getting this school or, uh, you, you don't get to do this or you you have extra duty. Now you might as well get it in now before you have to get out. So it's, it's one of those things my, like if I could change one thing in the military, it would be, Hey, Oh, you're going to get out. We're going to help you transition out. So you're not just like, okay, bye. Your contract's up, figure it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like you go through two to three months of boot camp to get, I guess, militarized to, to know how to do things. But then when it's time to get out, you just, your contract ends and you're just supposed to figure it out again. Yeah. You're kicked out onto the street and you're institutionalized at that point. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you just, you just know how to get a job. You know how to write a resume. You know how to interact with people in day-to-day conversations. Like, no, like we just spent the last two years talking about flat earth to be funny. Like we don't know how to interact (laughs) with regular people. (laughs) That's funny. That's for me. It was my, so my second deployment to Iraq, I extended to finish the deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a whiteboard in our chew and every time something happened that pissed us off, we would go to that whiteboard and write another reason as to why we're getting the fuck out of the army. Yeah. You know, because maybe today, you know, first sergeant told me that I had to, you know, pick up rocks again. Like I'm tired. I'm a grown man. I don't want to pick up rocks anymore. <laughs> Dude. It's, it's funny. I saw somebody posted like a meme the other day on, um, it might've been Instagram or something. And I couldn't relate to it more. It's like only veterans understand how much we want to get the fuck out, but also how proud we are that like we had served. And it's hard for people (laughs) to comprehend because they'd be like, well, I have buddies that are still in there like, dude, all you did was bitch about that you wanted to get out. Like, how are you, you know, proud that you did it? I was like, listen, like I'm proud of what I did, but I also like didn't agree at the time with like how we're doing things, but I can look back on it and, you know. It's kind of like a weird thing that I guess like maybe only we can understand, but I assume that you probably kind of feel the same way. I, I was a kind, I turned into a bit of a a dirt bag towards the end of mine. Cause we were, we were we finishing up our second deployment. Yeah. Well, I was very out loud about it. Yeah. So we were I was... finishing up our second deployment and our Sergeant. So I don't know how, again, I don't know how it is in the Navy, but in the army, they push hard to get you to reenlist i mean it is constant dude go see the retention officer go see this guy go see that guy for me so they knew like obviously that was from boston they they literally they threw this at me they were like what if we can get you to reenlist at a patriots game and i was like i mean that's that's kind of cool but like no i'm getting out getting out they knew that like (laughs) uh i like to watch wrestling with my kids so they knew that they, they were like, what if we bring you to a wrestling event and you get to reenlist in the middle of the ring and your kids get to meet the wrestlers? And I was like, fuck, like that would be really cool. But like, do I really want to serve six more years just because I got to do one fun thing? <laughs> you know, right, right. It's like the bonus at the point where when I was getting out, they could have honestly offered me like a million dollars to reenlist. And I think I still would have turned it down. Like I was just so yeah. ready to get out. It's just there comes a point where like your mental like headspace and your body you just like you have to take care of that first it's like i can't have my family keep going through this and you know risk becoming another one of those e7 or e8s that's on like their third marriage 
with like kids that hate them. And it's like, <laughs> was your career really worth it? You know? Right. Right. See, for me, it, there was a point where the Sergeant Major came out and uh, made his pitch. And he yeah. did this whole breakdown where like, okay, if you get out right now, you would have to make, to make what you're making right now as an oh, I, E5, I you would have that. to make like $35 an hour. Yeah. And I remember I raised my hand. I was like, Sergeant Major, with all due respect, I don't, you guys have me for a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. When I go out into the real world, any hour I work over 40 is overtime. You realize that, right? Sergeant major. Yeah. So your numbers are off. That's incorrect. And I did the math and it came out to be like 12 bucks an hour. It's like, that's how much you actually pay me. Isn't it, isn't it funny though, that you have these dudes, Sergeant majors or, you know, let's say they're a master chief in the, in the Navy, whatever they are. They're telling you how you have to live as a, as a civilian, but they're not a fucking civilian. They don't know. They have no idea. It's you what I tell no my idea. buddies. They put this in your head that like, oh, when you get out, you have to make, let's say, $90,000 a year to live the same lifestyle with healthcare or whatever. I was like, dude, and I tell all my buddies, I was like, you need to get these salaries in your head just out of your head. Like you can right. live and have a comfortable life. Like I got out of the the Navy and I made less than what I thought I would make because they kind of build it up in your head. But like we're we're living just fine. So I was like, yeah, you don't. And I'm living in New Jersey where it's like high taxes and like properties expensive. And it's it's like I still live a good life. My kids are good. Like my wife works, too. Like there are it's it's not like they make it seem like you're going to be living on the street like all these homeless vets and yeah. they they essentially scare you to staying in and it's yep. it's a little fucked up because once you actually tell them no they're like okay fuck you instead what they yep. could do is they could be like okay you're actually going to get out we're going to help you get out and we're going to get you on the right path rather than saying fuck you and then potentially making you one of those homeless vets that has no idea what they're doing and no resources you know and the list keeps going right cuz then the next thing that yeah. he says is well you have fully paid healthcare. When you get out, you're going to have to pay for your own healthcare. Correct. And I raised my hand again. I was like, sorry, major, with all due respect, if I go to sick call, I get called a sick call ranger. You're going to, you know, call everybody a piece of shit who goes to sick call. So when in the last almost five years have I ever used my free healthcare? Dude, it's never happened. You can <laughs> get out and still get free healthcare. If you're the vet, you just go to the VA. <laughs> like it's still free. Yep. I have healthcare through work and I still end up a lot of times just going to the VA just because it's free. Like, why would sure. I not use this resource? And I think a lot of people are scared to use this resource or like the VA is a weird place because you go in and there's just like, you know, people that are really poor off. There are guys, you know, that are kind of in the middle. There's guys that are just there like. I remember when I first started going to therapy, some of the best advice that I think like I ever received from my therapist, she was, I was scared to go for mental health stuff because I was like, there are vets that need this a lot more than me, which is true. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also probably vets that need it less than me. And she's like, if you go to the hospital because um, she's like, let's say, you know, you jumped the fence, you ripped your leg open, and now you've got like a really bad cut on your leg that you're bleeding. She's like, are you not going to go to the ER because somebody happened to be put like in a car accident and they're on life support? She's like, no, you're going to go to the hospital. You're going to get your leg stitched up and you're going to heal. Right. She's like, the same thing can be said for going to the VA or talking to people for mental health. Just because you're not in a car accident, just because you don't, you know, get shot in the head or whatever, that doesn't make your injury any 
less important to be addressed. Right. And that's like an important thing to think about for, especially with healthcare. It's like, dude, you have this free resources that you earned because you were put in these awful situations a lot of times and like fucking use the resource. Yeah. And they also triage it appropriately, right? If there's yeah. a basket case, they're going to take care of it. They're going to be like, hey, bro, can you wait an hour? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and it's the same thing. It's like if you're suicidal, like you're going to be taken care of faster than the guy that's like, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of here. I just want to talk to somebody yeah, or having a shitty like, day. Yeah. If I have a, a splinter in my finger and I go to the hospital, it's still going to get taken care of. It's not going to get taken care of as soon as the guy that has no arm. But, you right, know, like, right. but why not go? And yeah, yeah I, these, these scare tactics are so weird that they use. I well, mean, let me go a, to the next one. Yeah. It's time off. They're like, oh, you get time off. Yeah. How many like, oh, leave days have you fucking used? <laughs> How many are you about to pay me out for because I never got to use them? Yeah. Because you deny them all the time. Dude, when I went, when I got out of the, the Navy and you go on like terminal leave, I had like over a month of terminal leave because they were all leave days that I just haven't been able to use. Yep, me too. Yeah. Same thing. So I remember too, because I remember I said, Sergeant Major, we were doing a field training exercise and you guys denied my leave to go see my grandmother or, or go to her funeral. That's what you denied. Let me tell you what's not going to happen in the civilian world. Ever. Dude, I'm Ever. negative on time off Ever. at my job right now and they don't care. I was like, fuck, yeah, like I, I mean, need, like they're like, yeah, just take care of what you need to take care of. Like you, right. We'll, we'll figure it out. In the Navy, it's funny. You said the funeral thing. My son, I, I get to my ship, my first ship. First two weeks I was there, my wife was going to be induced for labor for our first kid. And they gave me a hard time about it. They're like, well, you know, you're new to the ship. It's a bad look. Um, you know, do you really want to get here? And you're already asking to like get out of things. And I'm like, well, I mean, my kid's going to be born. I kind of want to be there for the birth of my son. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they kind of give you a hard time. They let me go for that. The same day my son was born, my grandfather died. And like there was a funeral back in Boston. So my family's calling me. They're trying to set this up. Like my kid's just born. I got to figure it out. I call the command and they're like, so first it was your son. Now your grandfather. Like now you're trying to get out of a bunch of things. It's like, dude, I can't control when my grandfather died. Like, right. You know, there's right. there's a funeral back home. If this was anything else in the world, they'd be like, yeah, no, go take care of your grandfather. Go see your kid be born. It's like if the ship's not doing anything, it's not mission essential. Like, why not? Why does it matter? We had to fight. I had a soldier on our second deployment. We had to fight tooth and nail. His firstborn was coming. Yeah. But they found out that his firstborn had some, some you know, defects. Some, uh, I forget what it was called. But he had issues, right? I mean, it's going to sure. be it's it's going to be a tough time with the pregnancy. It's going to be a tough time when he's born. He's going to need all the special attention, all this stuff. We're leaving. This is when we were closing out of Iraq, and I right, I should put that in quotation marks. When we <laughs> left Iraq, right, we're leaving yeah. all of our trucks. We're in Kuwait now, and they're like, "No, nah, you can't go." Like, we're not doing anything. We're yeah. scrubbing trucks with sand in them. Like that's all we're doing. Why can't he go? Yeah, I just. I mean, we finally got it, but still, like it blows my mind, man. And then it's, it's like when when you look at these things from face value, and you and when people like you know try to bring these up of things you'll have to do as a civilian to maintain the same, you know, I guess frame of life. It's just, dude, it's just so. I I mean, for for me, 
like mentally where I am now to where I was when I was getting out of the Navy and how jaded I was and how much like I just didn't give a fuck anymore. It's just like I'm in such a better place like in that aspect now. It's like, dude, I'll deal with like PTSD, anxiety, depression type shit any day over just the feeling of just like I don't even want to just be here anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it burns a lot, a lot of people, and it sounds like it's similar, right? So for us in the Army, and, and I imagine the Marine Corps as well, it's deployments. You're doing one year stateside, one year out. One year stateside, one year out. With the Navy, I imagine it's you're on the ship, you're out. You're back, you're out. You're back, so it's, you're out. It's hard, dude. It's called like um, if you're stationed overseas, it's called being forward deployed. So like if you're stationed in Japan, Spain, like any of those big bases over there, you're mm-hmm. like home for a month, gone for a month, home for a month, gone for a month. Um, stateside in Virginia, it's like you're home for a week, gone for two, home for a couple of days, gone for three. So you're, you're just in and out, in and out, and then you deploy finally. And when you deploy, you're gone for it's either nine to 18 months, depending on like what type of ship you're on. Sure. But it's like people are like, yeah, well, we, we were only deployed for nine months. It's like, well, yeah, but the other months of the year were home for like three days, then gone for two weeks. And then home for this and then gone for it's just like you don't have enough time to at least for me it's like develop those relationships with your kids keep the relationship going with your wife or husband or whatever you have going on and it's just Mm -hmm. it's just like how do you maintain a family how do you maintain like a sense of normalcy or you know like you can't ever be home because you're always thinking about the next time that you have to go away for two weeks it's hard. And I imagine man. it doesn't get any easier because the higher you go in rank, the more responsible for shit you exactly. are. Exactly. And it's like the only thing you get used to is being underway itself. So it's like I always kind of joke that it's like leaving is the worst part, but being underway was the easiest time I ever had in the Navy because like I I got good of being a sailor. But it I as as I became a better sailor, I became like a worse husband or father or, you know. And for me, I wasn't risking, I didn't want to risk losing that anymore. It's like, sure, I I could probably become a great sailor, make E7, E8, make a career out of it, but at what cost? Right, right. You know? That's a heavy note to end on there, Derek, but I appreciate all of your time. I hope nothing but the best for you in the podcast. I know I'm going to keep listening for sure. Appreciate Um, it. Hopefully you get a lot more. Uh, mix up there. Although I went through a few, I'm not sure if I saw. I could be wrong. If you had a Coast Guard guy on there, being a Navy guy, I'm sure that's a little taboo. But yeah, I so I I want to say I did talk to somebody. I now I'm gonna get yelled at if if that was the case. <laughs> um, Coast Guard's weird because they're kind of like the redheaded stepchild, right? Because they're like, well, they're not. What yeah, is it? Yeah. They're not DOD. They're Department of whatever else like they're not technically a branch like they're weird coast guarders are kind of weird people so <laughs> but we get we'll lumped get together with them all the time yeah like, yeah, yeah navy and coast guard navy and coast guard i'm like well you guys I, are both on boats right Counts. yeah well it's like and then you get the argument like well we're on ships they're on boats it's like dude the, right, it, sure. it floats on the water like it's it's the fucking same <laughs> Oh, man. That's too funny. But, uh, again, I appreciate it. Um, Again, I hope nothing but the best. and I know for sure I'll keep listening. Yeah, dude. And I got to have you on mine as a guest, too. It'll happen for sure. For sure. Sweet. Sweet.